Hello, my name is Seb Reed. I'm a member of the writing team here at Circulate. Welcome to this new podcast series which will accompany the publication of articles authored by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation's Head of Innovation, Ken Webster, in exploring what the circular economy means for low- to middle-income countries. This series will invite thought leaders and practitioners to share their expertise and thinking on the topic, examining various trends, including the role of the informal economy, the demographic and environmental pressures facing these markets, and the future of employment and education. We will also investigate whether these markets can seize the possibility to leapfrog the development path of mature markets and directly to a circular economy. What do we mean by low to middle income economies or emerging markets? Why has there been so little research on the circular economy opportunities in these contexts so far? How can economies dependent upon intense resource extraction take advantage of a new regenerative model? Joining us on the line today to help us answer some of these questions is Luisa Santiago, the C100 Brazil program lead at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, where she conducts circular economy business research initiatives in the Brazilian context. Okay, Luisa, so to start off with, I wonder if you could say something about the challenge of defining this group of economies. Which countries are we talking about here and what are the commonalities between them? So I think the first thing is to really question the terms that we currently use to define these countries. Um, I would like to go back a little bit in history just to talk about a little bit of the developing narrative and the whole idea of you know grouping these countries into, into one group is quite limited in scope because um, it started with the idea that these countries that were considered uh, at a time undeveloped, they should start their development paths which means they should um, start their catching up strategies to become countries like the developed economies, um, which, you know, in, in history quite um, failed. Like we, these countries quite failed on this because they never really became countries like the developed countries. So this whole term terminology of emerging economies, developing countries, anything that um, comes from a sort of a neurocentric or a developed centric perspective um, is very limited in scope. So uh, this year, the World Bank really released new terminologies. So calling uh, four classifications, for, so four types of um, names for these countries uh, based on the income. So these countries are now for um, the World Bank I call, are called low-income economies, um, lower-middle-income economies, upper-middle-income economies. So there are many similarities, but also many differences between these countries. Um, I, think, I think one thing that is very obvious is that they are now really the, the resource-abundant economies, and they are also now becoming um, a lot more focused in industrialization, manufacturing, rather than they were when industry and the industrial world was um, much more focused in the northern countries. So these economies are dealing with a lot of the development gaps and they have a lot of uh, intensity in labor. They have a lot of um, um, issues on um, technology and knowledge and etc. when you look from uh, an industrial perspective. But certainly... Um, calling them emerging economies or, or developing countries really posed me the question of what are they emerging from, where are they emerging to, which doesn't really have a unique answer to all of them. So we definitely should look at this terminology with more um, you know, differentiation from now on. 
Yes, that's a fantastic point. Thanks for that, Louisa. Um, critical to understand the uniqueness of context. Um, among the economies we're discussing, of course, uh, many are very large extractors and exporters of raw materials, which of course has been an economic advantage in previous decades, but actually makes them now more vulnerable to volatility and price shocks. The circular economy could often be an alternative that ultimately reduces that dependence and builds in resilience. But are there any risks and, and what are the best opportunities for the model in this context to thrive? Exactly. So these economies, um, when we look at the circular economy perspective, the concept has evolved a lot so far um, in the European context, in more industrial, uh, sorry, in more service economies, in more resources, cars economies. So now that we are looking at the circular economy in these countries, what does it really mean? What are, where are the opportunities? It is really important to look at the recent history um, after the, the 2000s, you know, century, 21st century, really showed a different scenario for these countries. Um, after the 21st century started, uh, what we saw was like really pushed by the booming of China, of the Chinese economy. A lot of these countries, they invested in short-term strategies for going back to extractive industries in the core of their economies. So these, most of these economies, and I can bring the Brazilian example very clearly, most of these countries, um, not, not really far away in the past, were either colonies or you know, connected to um, metropolis in Europe, and, and therefore they had this idea of extractive uh, economies to provide uh, resources, natural resources, raw materials to the industrial world. Um, during the second half of the nineteenth uh, of the twentieth century, I'm sorry, um, they became much more industrialized. They became much more um, manufacturers, and they aggregated much more value within the territories. What happened during um, in in the verge of the two thousands when China started the, the booming and and really realizing the the, the, the growth in its economy is that these countries, Brazil is a very concrete example of that, went back to investing everything in extracting raw materials again and going back to a much, much um, more focused um, um, exporting of raw materials. So we pretty much went back to colonization times in the economy. But that was a very short-term thinking because... In less than 10 years or 15 years, China really became, you know, stopped growing as much, uh, which means now these economies are suffering because they are, well, they are entering in recession sometimes, like, like it's happening in Brazil. Um, they are entering in much more um, constraints for the growth they, they pursued for the last um, decade. Um, so I think there's a lot of opportunities in looking at these countries uh, from this crisis perspective and looking at the circular economy as a way to differentiate the industry, as a way to really create cash flows, um, more loops and more cash flows in the territory. These, um, these new ways of looking at a circular economic models that can work much better in, in aggregating value in the territory, this can be really important in changing the scenario of crisis, of economic crisis that these countries have, uh, are, have been drowning. Um, so, so apart from that, I think there are many opportunities looking at, you know, that are different from Europe, looking at, you know, how to incorporate the informality 
to these new economic models that can generate cash flow. How can we look at the biocycle? The biocycle in these countries are really, really much more um, um, prominent and they're much more significant to the economy uh, than it, it, it was in Europe. So I think there are so many opportunities of looking to this, um, to this specificities and to this uniqueness of you know these countries, um, that is of course we are starting to explore um, here in Brazil. For example, we're starting to explore. So I'm sure there is a lot uh, in these countries to evolve the concept and the framework of a circular economy in itself. Yes, and, and as someone working in in the Brazilian context, what would you identify as some of the critical differences between uh, the Brazilian market and circular economy applications and uh, and perhaps a European context? I would mention um, three main things. One of them is um, the biocycle, really. So um, here in Brazil, uh, we are doing a research and we are understanding that there's so much innovation in the biocycle. And when I, mention, when I, when I mean um, the biocycle, I mean not only agriculture, but other sectors that are all involved to the whole idea of landscape which means um, there are many, many relevant activities in the economy in Brazil and that can be extrapolated to other countries that have a lot of natural resources that deal with the biocycle. Agriculture is one of them, but we also have extractive industries in the forests like we have in the Amazon. A lot of the biodiversity assets are part of global value chains that many people in the world don't even know. And they come from, you know, really deep within the forest. They come from the hands of traditional communities. They come from the hands of um, extractive communities that have a lot of knowledge. Um, I, also, I also talk about the whole timber industry, which is also focused in the forest. And, of course, a little bit of a, a mix of agriculture and this, which is a, um, around you know, new forms of uh, agri agriculture, forest, permaculture, uh, agroforestries, and so on and so forth. So I, I would look at this idea of the bio-intelligence that is generated due to this richness and wealth of opportunities in the biocycle. How do we scale? How do we bring this biointelligence as a potential asset to be incorporated in, in really formal and, and fair and regenerative value chains? How do we create that? So this is, you know, looking at the biocycle. Another thing that is really, really uh, unique is about the social factor. So the social factor... Um, so social issues and social gaps have been a legacy from the development strategy we've pursued. So the countries have really created development gaps that reflect in social inequality and social um, issues that definitely need to be addressed by a new economic model. Um, so the social factor can be understood as a huge opportunity, actually. Uh, instead of looking at you know, social inequality and informality as an issue and as a thing to be solved, we need to look at these as an opportunity to increase uh, or to optimize materials flows, to optimize generation of multiple cash flows, uh, to strengthen local economies and so on, and to really um, foster knowledge, creativity. Uh, and we talk about a lot about, um, of social entrepreneurship and social innovation. So in Brazil right now, and this is true in a lot of the um, other countries in the same um, um, kind of history, um, the social entrepreneurship comes as an idea to put together business value with 
the addressing of social and environmental issues through businesses, which means a, a whole different position of business as a force for good and social and environmental impact. So this is very unique in Brazil. This is very unique in, in, in countries that, that are not developed. Um, so the other, the third topic I would talk about is about a different um, industrial dynamics. So there is this whole, so when Europe um, went through this deindustrialization process in the second half of the uh, 20th century, a lot of the industries came to the southern world. Um, so there is a huge potential of creating a south-south industrial dynamics that is really intense in generating new uh, circular economic models. Um, so there is a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of um, um, existence of, you know, markets that are manufacturing consumption markets and, and of course, uh, the waste streams coming from these consumption lines in the same countries. So there is a huge opportunity in terms of really optimizing materials, products, flows in a more circular way. Yes, I wanted to ask a sort of linked question to that. Um, often in, when we talk about circular economy in Europe, we talk about it not being a necessarily a new idea, but rather a synthesis of a number of existing ideas. And it strikes me, and, and members of our audience may be familiar with a number of examples, including Leontino Balbo Jr.'s work in revitalizing agriculture, um, that there's probably a lot of existing circular value, circular economy activity in a Brazilian context. And I wondered if you'd, you'd perhaps comment on that. That's a completely fair comment, yes. Looking at the biocycle, we find things, amazing things, like the, the, the Native case from with Leontino Balbo. And I would say Leontino Balbo is a person that really concretized my idea of biointelligence. Um, there is a lot of uh, knowledge on what he created over the years, and, and it's now able to be scalable. It is applicable. It's a regenerative method of agriculture that is applicable to large-scale monoculture. So he really puts together a lot of the controversial things from, from the past to really create a regenerative model that is full of, one, productivity, cost optimization, um, profitability, um, but it's also full of positive externalities that makes the system works better. So we, we found Leontino Balbo, we found Native case very interesting because it really dialogues with the agribusiness. But we also found smaller scales and different kinds of innovation in the biocycle, like the agroforestries, like the value chains of bio, like regenerative value chains in the biodiversity. So we do find a lot of that happening already. And we are definitely looking at these things with the, lens, with the lenses of a circular economy, and it makes a lot of sense. Um, but we also look at uh, what's happening in terms of, you know, the whole informality in recovery and recycling of materials. So the, the, the cooperatives, the, the social businesses in the base of the pyramid, they are working with circular economic principles for ages. And they're only in Latin America alone, there are over 4 million people living of that. And what I can say is... Um, from 50 to 90% of all the materials, of course, we are still talking about end of pipe recycling, okay? There hasn't been a circular economy principle to move the industry in a way that we don't have end of pipe things. So we do have to deal with that. And what's happening is um, these people, they are dealing with 50 to 90% of all the materials that have been recovered from the waste streams and all sorts of materials. So this is really, really powerful. 
how do we put together the efficiency and management and, and accuracy of the uh, industrial processes and, and intelligence with the capillarity and the ability to put volumes and, and, and the agility of these informal uh, businesses and, and, invo and even, you know, they're all in the base of the pyramid. And then how do we put these things together to, one, optimize materials flows, to generate really a better way of living for these people? So those would be some of the unique things that we have identified so far. It was interesting that you used the term informalities there. Um, we're often, we often describe these countries like Brazil as having a very large informal sector. Um, and since I think, I think terminology is such a critical, critical issue to this discussion, um, and I know that from previous conversations with you that you wouldn't use the term informal sector, and I wondered if you might spend a little bit of time just describing why that is and, and, and the terminology that you would use. Yeah, exactly. So again, terminology. I do think there's a lot of mental models that we need to disrupt to talk about this new regenerative, restorative, global economy. And the informal sector is one of them that I keep thinking in my mind, um, having worked a lot with informality, having, especially in the recycling um, space, um, there's no such a thing as an informal sector. Because when you put, again, everything into one sector, you are losing so much. You're losing so, many, so, many informa so much information that is useful to know how to uh, engage informality in, 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 you know, the circular economy. So looking at informality in many sectors is a much, is a rather um, more intelligent way of looking at that. And then you can understand the specificities. So if you look at, you know, repair, secondhand, refurbished markets, this is a world of informality that is mostly focused in the triple E sector, in the electric and electronic equipment, um, but also some in the furniture, uh, flooring furniture sector, uh, uh, well, textile as well. So there's a, a whole world of this repair, refurbished, secondhand, et cetera, market. But when you look at, for example, um, the recovery, recycling value chains, it's a whole different way of working. There's a whole, um, you know, space of knowledge that is around this that we can understand much better if we if we don't just put everything together into one bucket so definitely we you know informality is part it's a, it's a crucial part of the economies in these countries like brazil is around 50 percent india can gain can get to around 90 percent so how can we look at a circular economy looking at these countries without considering informality but we are going to definitely lose you know a lot of information if we just put everything into a bucket so that's another call for changing terminology that i i make here as a final takeaway question i just wanted to ask for your perspective on the circular economy in brazil and what you see as being the big topics and issues that are coming up in the not too distant future so um i always say that um i really appreciate the crisis the economic crisis that brazil is going through right now brazil as many people in the audience know is going well for the first year after being you know an emerging economy um, and really emerging in the sense of growing GDP in a fast way, um, which happens just in the first decade of the, the century. Um, Brazil entered a, for, for the first year in a, in a real recession. Um, and for me, this is really a crucial turning point because this crisis that we are now is a crisis of the model we chose for the past decade. 
Um, and, and I don't think, it doesn't surprise me that we are now in the recession. It, it, it really makes sense to me. And, and why do I really believe circular economy is really important for Brazil right now? And why am I really happy that Brazil has now, uh, is now in the map of the, of the Ellen MacArthur Foundation? And, and I'm happy to really um, advance this here. Because I do see a real opportunity for differentiation, a real opportunity for uh, turning around the whole linear locking uh, and the linear strategy that this country has been going for the last decades, as I mentioned before, uh, to create a much more resilient economy. And resilient in the sense that it depends less and less um, from sectors that are really struggling, like the commodities um, that have been really declining in the market. So it really creates a resilience economy in this sense, but it all also creates a more resilient society because we are looking at ways of generating um, multiple cash flows, ways of generating local economies that can address the huge problem that we have in this country, which is the concentration of wealth, which is the social inequality that derives from the concentration of wealth. So when we talk about the circular economy here, we are really talking about an economy that is more uh, uh, deconcentrated, an, an economy that really creates wealth to you know to part of the society that were excluded from economic value chains uh before so i do see and and that's resonating a lot i, I must i must say like with all the members and with you know with media here i do see that the cyclic economy is really you know the way we are building looking at this uniqueness of brazil and not just you know kind of trying to bring a model from Europe to here, which was what we did with the development tra trajectory, you know, really building it from Brazil to Brazil and to the world uh, with a protagonism from the country and from these economies. I really think this is a path of differentiation and, and a, to build a much more resilient um, future and present, of course. Thank you for your time, Luisa. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Be sure to check back at Circulate for further discussion, articles and multimedia content on this topic.